Hallelujah! Yes, welcome back to Mark's Madness. Mark's Madness! We the... have we are expanding to Moss Books. Yes! That is not Spanish. Let, no, no. Uh, let, let in, do we, we Bibliotecas. Moss Bibliotecas. <laughs> Isn't that library? Oh, shit. Donde no. esta lo bibliotecas? Where is the library? It's one of yeah, the few things right. I can say in Spanish. God damn it. I used to know Spanish really uh, well, too. No, yeah, we don't. We All don't right. do that in this country. No, we're, we're getting out of our, our box. The Marx is no longer the only uh, the only person that we're going to read on this dang podcast. Right. We're not changing the title because it's the best thing in the history of time. Yes. You can't convince me otherwise. Well, everyone we're reading is a Marxist. There you go. Yes. There you go. So uh, we are going to journey a little bit into The State and Revolution. Woo! By Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. Lenin. Don't forget no. the Ilyich. It makes him Yes. Better. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. Um, so, 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 David, uh, I, this is the first time we started an episode. It was very much, I don't know anything. I'm a little dumb dumb boy. Please talk to me like a dumb dumb boy. Yeah. This time I'm not quite so far there. No, but you, this no, is, you're, you're not a dumb dumb no, boy. No, not anymore. I'm less of a dumb dumb. But uh, more importantly, this is your boy. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for full disclosure, uh, d- d- let's let's be very clear, and I don't want to make it too personal because no. I mean this is about the books. Yes. Uh, but well, you need to I, know the context. Uh, yeah. Knowing well, knowing a little bit about about me with Marxism, I was kind of getting into it in in college, which is weird. They're usually oh, college turns everyone to Marxism. I tell you what, I guarantee you, college turns people away from Marxism. Uh, I was college made me a hardcore libertarian. Yeah. College that. turning people don't 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 lose the right wing. That's the last place you're going to hear like middle class and upper class white dudes have like professors that are CIA trained and I'm not <laughs> kidding or being paranoid. That's a thing. Oh um, telling them, you know, basically steering them away from Marx. But in those libraries, there are books. There are and, books. So I happened to be very online at the time and uh, kind of coming to, to grips with the whole Ferguson thing. I came from a, a right wing background and uh, so Ferguson was very eye opening and a lot of the words I said about at the beginning, I, I can't uh, undo and thankfully I didn't have much platform at the time. I was a piece of shit and that's to put it lightly. Um, but, uh, I learned a lot of things thanks to, uh, Black Lives Matter, um, who are doing something much more important than just me learning, but, but people learning in general is, yeah. is a big part of it. And, uh, I also was very online talking to people and the people that didn't have conflicting views, didn't go like carry the football to the five yard line, like good, 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 good. And then do something like completely backwards and problematic and kick it all <laughs> down. I found out after just following them, this big glob of left people that seemed right about stuff. Um, you know, even when I was going through like my liberal phase and everything, I mean, the people that were always right were Marxist Leninists. Uh-huh. And so I kind of, but I'm not sure. I don't know about enough about the theory. And then I read some Marx. Obviously, you get introduced with that. Okay. So I read some Marx, uh, price, profit, and, and uh, value type stuff, uh, the Gotha program, all kinds mm-hmm. of good stuff. And I had read. Marx's The Paris Commune, and I had read it online. And then I was in the library studying one day, and I had a gap of time where I was downloading something in the library. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I need the Wi-Fi here. I'm going to go look at these books. And I found out that on the bottom floor in the Umsa Library, way down at like the George Washington humping floor, <laughs> uh, there's Marx's The Paris Commune. And so I went down to go get it. And right next to it was Lenin's The Paris Commune. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll read this. I heard this Lenin guy was a good writer. And I read it, and it was so much better than Marx's that it was (laughs) night and day. And then I read more Lenin and more Lenin and more Lenin. Lenin is just the most incredible writer on the planet Earth. 
And I don't want to reduce him to a writer. He was a revolutionary. Yes. He was a theorist. Yes. He was, oh, I say philosopher. He's a philosopher. Yeah. Uh, he was he was everything. But his writing, on top of obviously leading the first socialist revolution in the world. An insane just, organizer. Just, yeah, fantastic organizer. Um, just un- unbelievable. Um, and we don't want a great man theory things. You know, like Lenin was perfect or no. like he was the gods. But, you know, people are still going to have more important yeah. marks in history and less important marks in history. And and Lenin was a very good person, a very poor person historically. And, and again, smart, good revolutionary person and a very smart writer. And so you get that insight that led him as a revolutionary in incredible writings. And you do and, get uh, to see, I think that's different from... Marx a little bit feels a little bit removed from the boots on the ground part of it. Even Which though, is weird because Marx wasn't actually was removed absolute, from the boots Exactly. Ground. He was there. He was exiled from Germany because of his, his, yeah. you know, his, and we'll his work into on the revolution too. there. Yeah. Um, but it's just so... This is such a jump forward in time. So much, so much for like we stuff happens between what we just read where we you know the first you know birth pangs of holy cow there's this new this new theory yeah and 1917 when when lenin was writing this you have some tangible historical events that have that have you know happened that have you know things have evolved even from where we just started so it's it's really interesting to see how did the, how did the message evolve and how did they adapt it as they went yeah. in this, in this yeah. work? Now, past the writers and past us. So let's talk a little bit about the book, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the important thing to realize is some context here. This was actually written during the 1917 yeah. revolution, yeah. okay? While it was going on. And obviously, we've talked about before, revolutions don't happen in a day. Yeah. It's not like, oh, there's before the revolution, and then there's revolutionary, woo, party. And Is that not what your life worth was? Did we not finish it on that? And then, <laughs> and then you just pick post-revolution. I will kick you in the face. I know you will. I know you will. We're much closer now. You can kick yeah. me a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. He was threatening to attack me after I was talking about some vomit earlier. And oh, yeah, yeah. You, to you, get back pissed off. Go back in the Cockable podcast, yeah, cross-promotion. Yeah, Jesus. so anyway. Um, but... You know, I mean, he was writing this during the revolution, so you get his insight. Yeah. And you get his insight on the state, which he was seeing first fucking hand. Oh, yeah. Uh, including in its infancy in a, in a liberal state, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. And, and his insight in Marxism, okay? And the reason he did that. See, Lenin had long worked with in, in socialist internationals. And this was around the time of the, the second international yes. was, was, was right. the concurrent one as this was being written. Right. And so over in Germany, there were two leaders. There was Kotsky... And, and, and there was Rosa Luxemburg. Yay! <laughs> and, uh, Guys, and and just just for my kick in on this moment, uh, if you listen to the last book, uh, our great nemesis was uh, was Mr. Ricardo. If there was one man that got dunked on over and over and over and over again, it was Ricardo. Insert Kowski. Yes. Because <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> yeah, there will be some some Kowski bashing. A little bit. Now, Lenin was a follower of all of these. He was, yeah, I mean, in general, just a social democrat Marxist follower. So he was a follower of Rosa. He was a follower of Kowski. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Big time. Everyone and, was at the and, time. And yeah, and so when he found out that there were some of these differences, he found himself leaning to Kowski. And all of a sudden, he realized Kautsky kind of exposed himself as some things happened that were real. He exposed himself as an opportunist. He exposed some someone that wasn't really revolutionary. And that's when Lenin went, oh, shit. Yep. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read all of fucking Marx from the beginning. Kind of a little bit of what this, a little bit of what the genesis of this was is, hey, I don't understand this. I want to understand it firsthand. Let's go read the actual stuff. I mean, this is like Tycho Brahe seeing one supernova and going, I'm going to remap all the fucking stars by hand, except with Marxism. (laughs) 
<laughs> More cock and bull crossovers here at yeah. Marksman. <laughs> well, that's just a historical fact. No, it's not. It didn't exist until we said it. <laughs> and uh, so that kind of led Lenin to go back to reread these things, to write this, and to point out who Kotsky was. And, and actually, uh, when we get to chapter six, it's just all ripping on Kotsky and, <laughs> yes, and how you can follow for it. Oh, it's so funny. Um, and so there's just a rising, rising kind of fervor throughout this, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's get into a little bit of exactly who Kautsky was, and let's do this part, not off my dome uh, and or notes, but let's do this off the intro to, to the formal intro of this book. We're going to yes. start with, because there were well-known leaders in the failed revolution of 1848, the German government never allowed either Marx or Engels to return to Germany to organize politically. They were forced to function as exiled advisors to their supporters back home. After many years of patient, semi-legal organizing in 1875, Marx and Engels collaborated inside Germany, merged with the more moderate followers of the socialist iconoclast Ferdinand LaSalle, the the, the, the soap-dem, essentially the, yeah. the German DSA guy <laughs> of the time. Yeah. Uh, and he died in a duel uh, a little yes. bit before, but these as were his did. followers. Yeah, as you did back then. As you did. Uh, United, this organization merged to be the SPC, or SPD, 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 which is the the Social Democrats, German uh, Social Democratic yeah, Party. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think it was like Socialist Party of Deutschland or something like that. Well, I mean, not so the German version of that. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so Marx and Engels went along with the Unity Plans in order to found a genuinely powerful organization. So they didn't like the Unity. With that. Uh, okay, there's more of us. Whatever. We, we we're from the outside anyway. We, we don't. We, we can't sit back and wait for the perfect time. This is the best way we can handle right. it right now. Let's go. Right. So they said, okay, we'll deal with this Big Ten bullshit, even though it's terrible. And they so they worried that the more Marxists and it puts that Quote in scare unquote. quotes uh, were moving too far to the right to accommodate their new allies. Hey hmm. guys. Weird. Funny. Yeah, it's, uh, Marx and Engels were against that. That's odd. Interesting. So these negotiations were complicated by the fact that the German state censorship uh, forced the SPD to speak you know, obliquely in its public press. Real kind of opaque, you know, Platitudes, big, yeah. big, giant, overarching things. Every Kamala Harris speech in the history of time. Basically everything without any substance. Yes, it. yeah. Uh, and so that meant, you know, the debates were not really... They were about uh, revolutionary principles... Um, in private, and really, really, they weren't accessible to anybody, okay? It was just letters and digs and stuff like that. Uh, So they could essentially be filtered through these party leaders. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it says, other factors compounded this lack of ideological clarity. The German economy boomed in the 1870-1871 war with France and grew powerfully for 40 years. And, of course, a booming economy, it's a little harder to have a revolution. Not impossible, but certainly harder. Yeah. Uh, and it was creating larger numbers of urban workers and a steady uh, increase in the union and the SPD membership, but like not armed and ready for revolutionary people. No. So the strikes were rare because German bosses often chose to, wage, to raise wages and tolerate unions and in exchange for steady profits because the, the market was booming. Okay, It, it wasn't 2008 exactly. No. Uh, the government followed suit, lifting a set of so-called anti-socialist laws against the SPD in 1890. So everybody's like, oh, socialism's winning. And obviously we know how things turned out in Germany. Man. So don't be fooled by these reforms. No, but they loosened it up because they had no, again. They the, had no reason to. They yeah. had no reason. You didn't need to crack down on labor because it was that you didn't have this contention. It was one of those times where capitalists could make ridiculous profits and keep labor happy. And if you don't have to rock the boat, you don't, even in capitalism, you don't. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the fact of the matter. And we'll get into more in this book because it's a lot of this book about, but it's not something we're new to and we talked about in Capital. The government is there to resolve class conflict. 
Okay, and it's going to side with the ruling class. I was about to say, the government is there to impose the ruling class as well on the the, the But that includes resolving class class conflict. If someone's going to come up and slit your throats, it's going to make it hard to make a profit when you're dead. It is. Uh, So they will make concessions and even regulate themselves, not because they're good people because they care about you, but because it keeps them in charge. And so when things are going well and you're going to have to raise those those profits and loosen things up because everything's going well, they'll loosen it up. They'll be ready with fangs out to, to roll it all back. They'll be ready to, they'll give you a new deal and then they'll Reagan that shit 40 years later. Yep. Amazing. Yep. Um, so the socialists grew winning almost a third of the seats in Germany's parliament, which was only held wow. limited powers because of the Prussian emperor. Uh, and this was leading up to World War One. Now, this success gave rise to a trend more and more openly that argued maybe Marx and Engels were wrong. Maybe maybe we could just have this reform. We don't really need this revolution, man. So the two exiles, Marx and Engels, did not like this view. You don't say. They, they warned against believing that the opportunism of people would grow in the SPD, and they threatened to split from it if the leaders were not expelled. However, they Damn. did their best to prod their supporters in action against the right wing of the party. Marx and Engels' critique of party opportunism were generally not known, hidden away from the public, because, of course, the party leaders were, were just, you know, filtering it. Yeah. Uh, so when Engels died in 1895, Marx had died 12 years before that. Uh, Edward Bernstein, who was his close collaborator and editor of the SPD's newspaper during those years, uh, dropped a bombshell on the party, essentially arguing that Marx and Engels' views on socialism and especially the revolution were just outmoded. They're outdated. Okay, so yeah, I mean it's amazing how uh, 30 years later we right, pass what, Marx. What's the postmodernist douche um, Foucault? Foucault. Foucault. Uh, this was Foucault before Foucault. Yeah. Okay, so remember, I mean, Foucault leased Nazis. Yeah! <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing how that happened. Uh, so they said in some, instead, you know, just focus on reforming capitalism a bit. You know, get some Democrats leading, make the Democrats better type thing. Uh, so he expounded his ideas in a series of articles called Evolutionary Socialism. And in the fight that followed, Rosa Luxemburg, yay! yay, the Polish-born leader of the left wing of the SPD, championed the idea of working class revolution. Now, Kotsky did the same thing openly. They so, were on the same. They were on yeah, the same. Seemed part. to be on the same page. And so, you know, of course, Lenin was was in with that. That seemed all good. Mm-hmm. However, while both supported Marx's call for revolution, each developed very different notions of how that revolution would come about. Luxembourg supported the SPD participation in elections, but she also believed that genuine socialism, the self-emancipation of the working class as Marx famously defined it, would only come through mass struggle, general strikes, uprising, and she wrote in her widely read book, The Mass Strike, in 1906, and maybe we'll read The Mass Strike sometime. That would be, and this is, I, I don't I don't want to derail because this is, but it, just from a engaging standpoint, so when when we're talking about revolution and and the distinction between violence and reformism and and revolution and reformism yeah mass struggle general strikes uprisings now now the the general strikes and the the mass struggle and uprisings seem to be implicitly involving some sort of force if not violence there yeah Um, but general strikes theoretically I mean, strikes almost always will entail some form of violence. I mean, look at the fucking Pinkertons like for Christ's sake they, they, they lead to violence but not necessarily violence that the that the left initiates. Usually that's reactionary violence against the people on strike. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're, 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 here's the thing is you, you can't be afraid to be, 
to to use your force. Yeah. Okay. Um, it has to be like even the peaceful revolutions, like we talked about Gaddafi's before. Uh, there has to be that threat. They have to be shitting their pants. Where it's like, oh, we would rather you take our p- power that we're willing to die for than kill us because we know we're gonna die. Well, that's not gonna happen. If they don't feel like they know they're gonna die and lose. So there has to be at least that threat. And so a lot of times there is that violence, but it's not necessarily. You're not out there to kill. Every rich person. It you does. Can. Yeah, it doesn't mean necessarily that everyone. You know, we we arm everybody and we're gonna go. <laughs> we're gonna right. we're gonna do our own Haiti. And, right. And I go mean, town if, to town. If we get yeah, and, and nothing wrong. I mean, Haiti. No, no, no. They needed that. to do that. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But I'm saying there. Some people are not willing to go to that level, and it would be sure. It would be but, interesting to but read it, the mass it means strike. like we shouldn't we shouldn't be afraid to say you know, mm-hmm. bash Jeff Bezos's head in with a hammer. Yeah. But let's say we have the entire revolution and we get a dictator proletariat and nobody is a billionaire anymore and nobody has this relation of capital that we talked about where, you know, someone has to be without the subsistence so they're bound to the means of subsistence. Let's say, you know, all of that happens and we're, we're basically, you know, the the decolonized America, you know, the, the tribes are running their thing and, and the white people left within their rules are, are running the best we can closest to a USSA, you know, and all that stuff. And Jeff Bezos is alive. Well, we don't have to go kill him out of the fact that he used to be rich. Yeah. You know, I mean, we want to re-educate him, but yeah, we don't if he's, have to. Yeah, if he's willing to play ball. So or... we're, we're not going for maximum death. This is not like the <laughs> genocide of, of the wealthy. It's not the purge in reverse. Right. But this is this is the end of wealth, and we can't be afraid, you know, of, of And if we learned anything from the end of, uh, of capital... Uh, the 26 to 32, when we talked about the historical underpinnings of how they, capitalism They're started, very violent. Yeah. It, it, it took a lot of violence to condition the working class to the concept that they were going to be broken. If you don't think that's going to have to happen a little to the world reverse. Yeah. And again, Lenin specifically talks about that here. So we, yeah. we'll get there. I would just, I think, again, I think that's an interesting yeah. Interesting thing, and, and people that I speak to are, are very concerned about that. So, so back well, to Kautsky and Luxembourg. Back to Kautsky they, and they Luxembourg. They seem mostly the same. So Kautsky, like Luxembourg, supported the workers taking extra parliamentary action. So, you know, you still do the elections. Not you don't, but you understand that there's the opportunists in there, and that's not going to give you your revolution. You're working within their system. You also need to take your own actions. Mm-hmm. But he was very specific of what revolution would mean. Which is almost always a bad thing. Yeah, and again, he had his own book. So the, the Rosa had the mass strike. Uh, Kautsky had the road to power, okay? And it, it did frighten the German leadership. I mean, again, you know, the USA leadership is freaked out by Ilman Omar. <laughs> now, I mean, don't get me wrong, even her critiques of um, Elliot Abrams still kind of leaves that open, like, you know, Republican wars are bad, but Democratic right, wars, wars are, are good. good. And she's explicitly saying, like, you committed a genocide, and you did fake humanitarian aid and shipped weapons. Why should we think you're not exactly doing this in Venezuela? But she didn't really actually challenge, why are we doing anything to Venezuela, Venezuela. or something like that. And they still are scared shitless of her. Oh, yeah. Terrifying. You know, I mean, so, so even... Even slight steps towards the left that are total opportunists that will crash our revolution more than they help it scare the living shit out of them because yep. there's still threats to them. Exactly. Because even if, if the opportunists got what they want, they would still have more power than the people they're threatening right now. Yeah, it, would, so, it would change that power structure. So they tried to prevent Road to Power from being uh, published. published. Too He's too revolutionary. And Kotsky argued that the revolutionary action might be necessary, okay? And that's what, what the right wing was not cool with. Uh, but it was dangerous proposition at best and should be avoided if possible. Now, that's not to say that you should, again, try to kill as many people as possible, but that's to say like, if you if you get there, right, if you're ready to go and the leadership is not threatened to, to you know, punt the, the power away, which they're probably not in a first world country. I mean, that's more like 
like, you know, Gaddafi was was in Libya. I mean, that's more like a colonized land. We're, we're probably not going to get that in America. Third, third world, the, that third worldism. That, right. That there concept. will probably be some blood here and we should not be afraid yeah. of it. And so what Kowski was saying is, okay, well, you know, if it gets the blood, that's fine. And if it doesn't, that's even better. Okay, things we can agree with. But then within those parameters, we should really, we should, we our biggest focus should be reducing the blood, like kind of like half pacifism. This well, thing. and the next sentence really highlights where he went wrong. Yeah. The, um, so he says it was and, do, 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 the do, overriding goal, goal was the gaining of a dominant position for the reach tag. Reichstag. Or Reichstag. <laughs> what German shit? Uh, no, it, yeah, that's one of the few I can do. <laughs> okay. Definitely Reichstag. Not not o- only over the imperial government, but over the individual states. These are the special tasks of the German proletariat. So if we get enough votes in the election, that's what we want. That's the yeah. real goal. Yeah, and- we're willing to strike bloody strikes. But in the end, our goal is to, to you gain know, control of gain the control existing of the, system. Right. Um, not kick it over. Yeah. And obviously we want to kick the fucking thing over, especially in America where it's it's a fucking colony. Yeah. Um, and so he added, it cannot win these battles, cannot reach above the mentioned goals of democracy and the abolition of materialism. We can't, we can't threaten democracy or so good democracy is sent down from the sky without itself obtaining a dominant position in the state. Compare this passage of the previous quote where Lenin writes that the state should be used to see how influential Kotsky remained for the author of State and Revolution before World War One. It's true that Kotsky recognized that the bourgeoisie might try to prevent the SPD from gaining dominance, and if so, it would be necessary to use force against them, but he really hoped they could just take the state. And again, he thought that was the end goal. Yeah. They seemed... Kotsky, from, from what... And again, I, I'm not reading Kautsky directly, so we're, we're kind of taking the... The other thing that it's important to point out, the version um, of the book that we're using in the introduction that it's coming yeah. from is State and Revolution that was annotate, annotated in the introduction by Todd Cheriton. Yeah. Uh, this is directly the one from, if you wanted to get this exact copy, it's the one that uh, Haymarket books yeah. sells. Yeah, I would be a little careful because Haymarket is, is Trotsky. No, 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 they, and just they, in general. That is necessarily the, just if you purchase this, If you purchase State and Revolution specifically from Haymarket, you will have the version we're working off yeah. of. and. Pers- I, I really liked this version. I thought the introduction was good, but we're also reading it to you right now for the most part, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, and so, you know, something, and then this is detailed a little later in the intro, something that Lenin was doing is, again, he painstakingly tracked down every reference to the state he could in Marx and Engels, which meant a little more Engels, obviously. Also, and- how hard-ass was that when, like, we could do that? Like, I could control F for, yeah. for, for a state and rev P, for, like, PDF and get that. Like, how much do you have to read to cross-reference all of that? Yeah, and, and so he wants, and he'll point out, you know, I mean, pay attention to the context that he's reading stuff from. Yeah. Okay, so now we've really got the, the layout of, of Kautsky, of how he affected Lenin, of who Rosa Luxemburg is. Um, so now we need to understand this revolution, because obviously the the, the, the socialist revolution in, in Russia was a big deal, yeah. uh, but also, and, and it really lays out that it's not just a one-day thing, uh, but also this book was written with it, and this book was written with some ideas behind it, and a big thing you're going to need to understand for this book is peasant support. Um, <laughs> now, not that, you know, underclasses, quote unquote, aren't a big thing. I mean, obviously, we've talked about, you know, marginalized groups yes. are a big deal for us. Yes. Um, and that's that's kind of the idea behind this. The peasants were, were I mean, there was certainly, the you know, Jews and, and Asian people, you know, especially Mongolians and things like that in Russia, certain several types of mo- uh, marginalized groups. And obviously, they're a big part of, of things because, you know, Lenin didn't elevate Stalin totally on merit, although he, he deserved it a lot. But he elevated him partly because he was Georgian. Yeah. You know, um, 
He's so, our to- he's our token minority. Go that's, Stalin. That, that's right. You know. So I mean, don't be wrong. You know, empty identity politics that put like one person <laughs> from the group over the whole group are goofy. But you still want actual like representation from the group. You're not going to hear from them. Lenin was not against like quote unquote identity politics. He fucking promoted Stalin. You know, we just don't want like empty like someone being a black woman doesn't change your promoting white supremacy if she if she's a fucking cop. You know. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> May have been referencing something specific there. No, but, no. If no. you can't pick up on that, why are you listening to us? Yeah. <laughs> so to understand, we need to know two timelines. Okay, we need to know the timeline of peasant support because mm-hmm. it wasn't always with the Bolsheviks. And we need to know the timeline of the revolution itself. Okay. Yes. So we're gonna kind of talk about those together. So the first thing is capitalism kind of come to Russia a little bit in the 1860s. It wasn't really even semi-liberal uh, or semi-feudal. It was it was barely tapped in the feudal market, but there was some capitalism in there. Again, it grows out of some of these, you know, markets and things when they, they take the guilders and they move, remove restrictions. And um, wasn't the so, population something like 75 percent peasant? Yeah. Like unindustrialized. It was, it was until yes. peasant farm, like yeah. wildly. And, and a lot it will get into a lot of the, the feudalism or a lot of the uh, semi feudal, the capitalism uh, is agrarian. Um, So Russia was a big, big empire. It was extremely anti-Semitic. It was famous for pogroms, uh, which were the precursor to concentration camps. It's where people killed Jews. Yeah. I mean, it's just what it is. And literally... And they're all over the Russian Empire. They're most heavily in uh, Poland and Ukraine. Um, but they were all over the Russian Empire. Uh, it was very Asia-phobic. Um, minorities like Georgians, uh, minorities like Mongolians were, were very, very hated. Um, and these kind of laid the foundation for things that you see now. I mean, you see the OUN is reincarnated in power in Ukraine. The OUN were uh, Ukrainian nationalists. They they fought alongside of the Nazis and ran pogroms. And right now, the OUN is fighting alongside the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, and they're fucking attacking Romani people. Was that the you group know? that tore down the uh, the tore down all of the all the put up the, the the big fun statue to the Waffen SS? Yes, recently? There, there's more than one tribute to the Waffen SS directly in place of Lenin statues, and they tore down all of the Lenin statues in Ukraine, over 200 of them. And so when you hear about these things, like the liberals use their you know, what about what about Crimea and the Donbass? And a lot of the liberals don't know what those fucking words mean. No. They just think like, oh, those places Russia took from Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, what it is is Ukraine had a legitimate elected government. And the U.S. through a coup put the OUN in power. And the eastern the eastern uh, side of the Ukraine is called the Donbass region. And because of a lot of history and, and things in that region and kind of tucked away in the Donbass region, the legitimate government kind of took power. So there's this feuding between the Donbass region and and the western like puppet state yeah and the puppet state uh that's like got kiev and all all major ukraine and according to america it's all under ukrainian control and, and russia is just supporting evil terrorists in the donbass but they're the legitimate government the u.s kicked out by their back coup in 2013 i think 2013 2014 uh, right about the same time crimea which is a little it's it's almost like an island peninsula thing like a triangle that connects ukraine and russia um, across, oh, I can't remember what that sea is. Is that the Black, Black sea? sea? Black Sea. Okay, and uh, so Crimea is not quite independent, and it was part of Russia for a long, long time from this empire, and then it was within the Russian um, uh, Soviet state, the Russian SSR, uh, at the time of the early Soviet Union, and then under Khrushchev, it was given to Ukraine, which, I mean, fine, you know, whatever. That was another socialist state within the Soviet Union. It was just a matter of who had more localized government. And they were big into, you know, 
people having their own uh, legitimate uh, agency, you know, yeah. I mean, these decolonization. And so when the Soviet Union fell apart, it was still part of Ukraine. I mean, that's what had been negotiated in the 60s. Um, and the people in Crimea voted overwhelmingly and rallied overwhelmingly to side away from the Ukrainian government. And their reaction to the fear was to go back to Russia. So Crimea basically wanted, like, I mean, obviously there's fascists there too. It's not uniform. It's not a monolith. But the overwhelming population wanted to be Russian and they celebrated Russia coming in and, and taking them back in as a territory because they're not going to be able to defend themselves. As yeah, a, your, option is, your option is stay with Ukraine, become an independent nation, or go back to Russia. Those are right. really your three options. They, never they knew they were going to survive as an independent nation. No, so and they Russia's never have. So, that, yeah, so they became Russian. And so Americans, oh, they inv Russia invaded Crimea. And, you know, and again, these are going to be like the NPR listeners. Most people don't even fucking know the word Crimea and Donbass. But if they do, you know, the NPR listeners, they just, they're, they're just the, the bu Imperial's buzzwords they're used to like throwing out there. And like, oh, you don't, you don't know, think Crimea is wrong is what they'll say to you. You know, it's like, oh, you don't think Assad was bad to gasp? I mean, they're ready with these, these scripted arguments that, that has been told to them. Um, you know, so the OUN, <coughs> again, you know, was, was basically the byproduct of this. And this was all under the Romanovs. Okay, so the Romanovs were a long-standing, um, and so, you know, Nicholas II was in power during this revolution, son of Nicholas I. And we can get into, um, what is the, the, the magic man that, that boned the Romanovs' Rasputin. wife? Rasputin. Nicholas II is quite possibly the most inept, dumbass. the Huge most dumbass. inept monarch in the history of yes. that fucked up system. And he, he and Louis the, him and Louis the 14th, or 16th, run neck and neck for just the dumbest <laughs> fucking monarchs in the history of time. Yeah. Like, he absolutely could have prevented what what happened and just chose not to because he was a moron. Yeah. So, anyway, I mean, you know, obviously there was a lot of this worker uprising, and Nicholas II was more worried about, like, elevating Rasputin because he thought he was a cool magician guy, and then, like, his servers were, like, killing Rasputin in the river because he was boning Nicholas II's wife and stuff Yay, like that. Yeah, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Uh, so anyway, Rest a lot of was just having orgies all over yeah. the capital and just no one gave a shit. So anyway, this really happened in reaction to the 1904 Russo-Japanese War the revolution kicked off. So in 1905, uh, they started forming Soviets. And Soviet just means council. Yeah. It's just, just Russian for council. They started doing their own little councils, okay, in the rising protests. And in these councils, there were basically two schools of thought. One was very, I mean, not even Kautsky, more, uh, more Bernstein type, you know. And they were in the minority. And then one was more the Rosen Luxemburg, even Kautsky type belief that, that they had to do some kind of violent revolution. And they were the majority. And so the Russian word for majority is Bolshevik, and the Russian word for minority is Menshevik. And so that's where the Bolshevik and the Menshevik parties were established in these Soviets. Okay, At the same time, kind of the way that revolution was quelled. And that revolution was, was a big one. I mean, there were conflicts. Uh, there was Bloody Sunday was the most famous one where there was a, a protest and people were marching across the ice towards the Winter Palace. And a thousand of them were slaughtered. Um, and so, I mean, to kind of settle down from the revolution there, he created a Duma. Okay, and so a Duma was like a little Congress, and so they had the Soviets that they formed, which had no power, and then they had the Duma, which had formal power, but very little. It was still it's filthy. the same thing every monarchical parliamentary system had is every monarch had to kind of come up with a, a a figurehead parliament to make it look like they weren't 
yeah. a total monarch anymore, and it was like this game, but everyone knew that the second it didn't agree with the monarch, it would be dissolved and no one would care. Yeah, I mean, this was like the um, German... Um, the Reichstag again? Reichstag again. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's the it's French just... the French during the revolution, the, the, the parliament during the revolution when they got overthrown and went to the tennis court votes and all that. I mean, it happened in literally every major monarchy that had a revolution. Yeah. Had an inept parliament that got... I mean, the English yeah. Civil War had the same thing. It, literally, all of history of time. Yeah, so, I mean, this is kind of what they did, you know? We have one. It's inept, and it doesn't do anything. It's and uh, so this proved pretty good for uh, like some of these growing capitalists that were coming out of the agrarian area, uh, the the landowners. So like you had the poor farmers, the peasants who didn't own land, and then there's no such thing as a rich peasant. Okay. Ah, uh, we're getting uh, into the fun one though. The, the kulaks. The kulaks. Yeah. And so the proto kulaks came in, and there were these these landowners of the farms, and so they were benefiting from this Duma, but the peasants weren't. No. So the peasants didn't give a shit about this. Yeah. Okay. Now, in 1917, there was a worker uprising in February based around a women's strike. Women's strike, okay? So it was just a general strike from all the women. And Amazing how those are effective when they're used. Yes. Almost every single and, time. And uh, so it worked incredibly well, and all of a sudden, Nicholas II was on the run. Okay, the Romanovs were on the run in February. And so this was the real revolution kickoff. There, there was two revolutions in 1917, February and October. And so this this shuffled in the uh, liberal revolution. Okay, now all of a sudden these Dumas are going to start to have some power. But they're not really going to give power to the people. They're going to give power to these capitalists behind it. Okay? And... Uh, you know, and so there was these fights over like the Soviets or the Dumas and the SRs, uh, which were called Soviet revolutionaries. There was a left wing and a right wing. It was very much like the SPD. Yeah. Okay. And the left SRs kind of had the ear of the peasants, notably early. And you could see that in May, there was a peasant conference. Okay, which could you imagine? Like, oh, you're a peasant. You get to come to the peasant. Conference. I was about to say, trying to imagine that in America. It's like, yeah, poor poor people convention. Twenty. I mean, it might as well be like the gun show down in like the the, the convention center. That might be the, our closest thing to a peasant conference. Yeah, no, because that gets flooded with all the suburbanites. Ah, touche, like touche. We need we need a fucking peasant conference. Yes, Can we get one. Yeah. Um. So anyway, the, the peasants were mostly backed by the SRs because the SRs wanted listen. Like they had the peasants here. They were repeating what they wanted. Well, yeah. In both the Soviets and the Duma. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and the Bolsheviks were there too. And it's not like the Bolsheviks weren't listening and amplifying the peasants, but the Bolsheviks were very, you know, on brand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so like SRs would speak about the conversion of all land into natural, uh, into national property. So like anyone could use it equally. Mm -hmm. Okay. Without any indemnity. Uh, meanwhile, Lenin... Uh, writing the state and revolution was not not really budding this, but he was focused on directly, you know, fighting the Dumas. Okay, so the SRs were a little more appealing to the peasants at the time. Now, in June, there kind of came a big turn with the peasants. Okay, uh, the peasants were starting to take action to reappropriate the land themselves to, to just take the power. And uh, the SRs inside their own conference in June were denouncing this. Okay, they were saying like. Uh, no, we should really take this the right way through the Duma. This is, it's a good thing you're doing, but this is just the wrong way to go about it. You know, and they still, they, they clung to the SRs at the time because the SRs amplified their, their interest really well. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I mean, it's like right now, you know, obviously like DSA is doing the brake lights. They're trying to amplify like, hey, you know, we need medical care and stuff like that. And then there's actual socialist parties out there. Well, it'd be like clinging on to DSA while, you know, the people like Ocasio-Cortez are being exposed as people that say, you know, 
um, abolish ICE, and all of a sudden they don't even want to abolish ICE, uh, let alone get rid of the CPD, let alone get rid of cops. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're they're actually signing CPD and ICE funding that didn't open the government first thing in the, in there, you know, and they're not really saying much about Venezuela, that kind of thing, you know. I mean, it, backtracking. So this is kind of what happened, but it's a little slower, less obvious. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, the Bolsheviks were kind of in a free fall. They weren't doing super well because the Duma still really had power. So the Bolsheviks were doing okay in the Soviets, but not really gaining a lot of seats. They were losing seats rapidly in the Duma, and they were basically thrown out. They were starting to be sent into exile. I mean, there's famous stories about Lenin having to shave his beard into hiding and, and duck out in cabins and then find his way over to Germany in exile. The, just the, When you listen to some of the stories about Lenin, it does sound very stereotypical, like silent movie or like shave the beard put on the Groucho Marx glasses and like yeah, see, yeah, sir gentlemen right. yeah, I'm not Lennon moving on right but I mean they didn't really have like uh, they had some photographers but not yeah, a lot that's of what I'm saying. It's like, how do they know what you he, look like he had a trademark beard yeah. so you know I mean shaves that Ho off Chi Minh, Ho Chi Minh has a very similar story of like having yeah. like, 18 aliases and, and like I, no one knowing where the hell he yeah, was yeah I mean it's a lot harder to do these days I think yeah uh, but anyway people were actually turning away from the Tsar in World War One, and the Bolsheviks were the party that were loud about don't fight for your oppressors. Those are our brothers and sisters over there in the trenches. Tell them not to fight for their oppressors. Put down your guns. We're in this together. Let's turn this on the masters. Okay, so peasants were especially the ones that really didn't want to fight for the czar. No, yeah, there, there's no... And zero. so the Mensheviks, you know, gained power. They're like, oh, we're still fighting World War One. That's for our stuff. And the, <laughs> the peasants were like, no. That's that. We, no. We, we overthrew the government to stop this war. Yeah. Get on board. Yeah. Now, July was kind of the peak of this, where they were getting exiled and stuff. And since then... Peasants were kind of becoming more part of the Bolsheviks. Not only did they like the Bolsheviks' anti-war calls, which was a big part of it, but they liked that the Bolsheviks were not saying you're going about these the wrong way, but they were completely loudly supporting the peasants reappropriating the land, the peasants taking direct action. Uh, they had a very famous slogan, all power to the Soviets. Mm. Okay. At the same time, SRs were very good about amplifying peasants' words. And of course, Bolsheviks were too, and Bolsheviks were still mostly taken up, including the seats and the membership, by workers. But Bolsheviks were starting to let peasants take some of the seats, and even the peasants don't take seats, they didn't just have their own little peasant conferences, they were able to speak at the Soviets in place of the Bolsheviks. So the Bolsheviks were working very hard all of a sudden to take the, you know, the peasant support away from the SRs, not to undermine the SRs, but to amplify the peasants. And that made things, you know, very, very clear. Okay. So first, the call of the peasants to seize the land themselves was directed explicitly against the program of the SRs, which is, you know, to try to reappropriate it through, you know, the the Dumas and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so rather than listening for land nationalization, which is what the, the it was kind of the undermining way the SRs ended. <laughs> oh, we nationalize everything and share it. And Lenin was like, well, no, I mean, we have to get rid of the illegitimate government nationalized stuff. Yeah. Okay. You can't, you know, you can't just have food stamps to, to nationalize food and call it a day. We have to crush the government yeah. and everybody shares the food, right? Um, so rather than negotiating for the, with the landlords like the SR wanted um, through the, the bourgeoisie uh, constituency, Lenin said, take it. Secondly, Lenin called for the land seizures to be organized, okay? And this was a big thing of Lenin's. If you go out and you, you know, murder Elon Musk, well... Is but that an overall good thing? Probably. Oh, yeah, great, it, fine. But does what, it achieve what it, anything? No, absolutely not. You yeah. know, if it's not organized, we're not going to take any power. Look at... Uh, and, and there's certainly going to be a reaction on top of that. The black... The... the what the 
one that assassinated Franz Ferdinand. Wasn't that an a group of anarchists? The, the oh, black yeah. Ant, the, yeah. And I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but the guys that killed... Again, they, they, they murdered a, a monarch. Their group was radical in its nature, but again, since it wasn't... Organized. It wasn't organized. Didn't have a thing. Nothing came of it except a giant world war. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't take any power yes. at all. So, you know, he's saying, well, you got to be organized. And as he said in the aforementioned peasant conference, he mentioned this in May, okay? He said, let the peasant know that the land he is taking is not his land, nor is it his landowners, but the common property of the people. We're organizing, and we're not, you're not going to take this land for you. I'm not going to say that's my land. We're going to gather a group of 30 of us, and we're going to say, this is our land. Every inch of this is for all of us. Mm -hmm. Okay? And he says, until the power of the people is established, the local authorities should take over the landed estates and should do so in an organized manner according to the will of the majority. Okay? We're doing this democratically as people. Okay? We're taking this over. So this, those are Lenin's words. Yes. And so this book kind of was published right after the revolution, right after that support from the peasants and that direct action and all those things kind of came to a head. And it stopped at chapter six, which was a real dig at Kautsky. It actually had a uh, chapter seven. Okay. Which was, wasn't that, chapter seven was supposed to be basically analyzing it in the context of the revolution. Yeah, well, chapter seven was supposed to be analyzing the government of the Duma, the, the, the government okay. after the czar had run scared. Yeah. And that never happened. And Lenin said, well, maybe I'll get back to that later, or that's not really necessary. We're celebrating. We've yeah, crushed we, it. We got it. Yeah, we got it. And um, No so, reason to analyze this dead body that we just yes. overthrew. So this book is going to end at chapter six. Today we're just going to do chapter one. But now we understand, you know, uh, Lenin's going to talk about a lot of things. And you see how important direct action is, how important being anti-war, not anti-war in general, anti-imperialist yes. is... Uh, but the biggest thing this is going to be a dig at is, you know, obviously you can't tell the peasants, well, don't fight for your state if they don't know what the state is. They, You know, if you think like America is me, you know, if yeah. they thought Russia is them, then of course they want to defend America and American values and whatever, you know, whatever their Russian version of that shit is. But if you say, no, look, this is all bullshit. This is all working against you. And so he's going to say that and he's going to say that in a pretty hard dig against Kautsky. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to Lenin's preface. Preface. Lenin's preface. All okay, right. Lenin's preface, the first edition. Um, and again, you know, we're understanding the, the world war. He says, The imperialist war has immensely accelerated and intensified the process of transformation of monopoly capitalism into state monopoly capitalism. The monstrous oppression of working people by the state, which is merging more and more with the all-powerful capitalist associations and is becoming increasingly monstrous. The weapons manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Raytheon, they're your friend. <laughs> they're your Boeing, friend. why do we have commercials? Right. The advanced countries, we mean their hitherlands, are becoming military convict prisons for the workers. The element of opportunism that accumulated over decades of comparatively peaceful development have given rise to the trend of social chauvinism, which dominates the official socialist parties throughout the world. Now, it is very important to define chauvinism there because I did not understand what the he was talking about. Yeah, so a lot of that word has gotten that word has gotten co-opted in like eight different ways. Since yeah, so let's let's be very clear what chauvinism means because there's there's a definition that that it is, uh, which I mean obviously is named after Chauvin and and his undying fighting uh, for Napoleon. And there is a word that people think it is, which is a synonym for misogyny, and it's not. Yes, you know, I mean, you can still say male chauvinism in that case, yeah. but chauvinism is not only a, a blind fight for a cause, which is the root cause of the word, but it's also come to mean an inability to take any other 
perspective, okay? So social chauvinism is essentially an idea of socialism that doesn't take the perspective of the actual victims. Like, you're the greatest victim, you're the only issue, you know, like, hey, hey, you know, white dudes not getting uh, Medicare for all, <laughs> right, is, is the epitome of oppression. So if we just get, you know, Medicare for all, maybe UBI, revolutionary, revolution over, you know, we I mean, who, yeah, I mean, who cares if, if we're bombing the shit out of Venezuela next week? Mm -hmm. uh, we, who cares if Haiti is burning down thanks to our puppet government and we're just sending Marines in there to quell it, and, uh, whatever, you know, who cares? We got our Medicare for all. That, that would be social chauvinism. Yeah. I think okay. the, the exact definition they use in there is uh, support of one's own nations, one's own states, nationalism, or patriotism. It's this concept yeah. that your that what happens in your country is more important than what happens yeah. everywhere else. They're not thinking about it globally. You're not thinking about it as classes. You're thinking about it as, yeah. my team wins! Yay! Even if that means other teams lose who have the same interests as me. It's my team! Woo! Yeah, and you see how important his Lenin is to battle against that because we're talking about World War One. I. I mean, that's yeah. what he meant, you know? World War those the, those the people in the German trenches, those people in the Prussian trenches, those, you know, th those are your brothers and sisters. Why are you killing them for your czar? And once your czar's overthrown, why are you killing them for this fucking doom? that doesn't care about you. Um, so he says, the trend, socialism in words and chauvinism in deeds, yeah. is conspicuous for the base, servile adaptation for the leaders of socialism to the interests of not only their quote-unquote national bourgeoisie, but of their quote-unquote state. And for the majority of the so-called great powers have long been exploiting and enslaving a whole number of small and weak nations. Now, again, you know, I mean, this is... So, like, if you hear someone say death to America and you think that me don't think that means they want to crash your horrible government and stop the imperialism you think that means they want to kill me they want to kill me that's social chauvinism yeah. and Lenin's saying don't do that shit don't do it don't <laughs> do it stop thinking about that no 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 don't do it and if Lenin didn't say that World War One would have never ended. I mean, you know, we had the weak Treaty of Versailles that didn't really end things but for a few years, but that only happened because Russia pulled out. Well, why did Russia pull out? Well, because they were becoming the Soviet Union, because Lenin gained power, and Lenin was like, stop fucking fighting for this. These are your brothers and sisters, and they're fighting for their leader that they shouldn't be doing it for. And uh, so he says, and the imperialist war is a war for the division and redivision of this kind of booty. And remember, you are the booty. <laughs> you are the pirate treasure. The struggle of the to free the working people from the influence of the bourgeoisie in general and of the imperialist bourgeoisie in particular is impossible without a struggle against opportunist prejudices concerning the state. First of all, we examine Marx and Engels' theory of the state and dwell in particular detail on those aspects of this theory which are ignored or have been distorted by the opportunist. Kautsky. Yeah. Then we deal specially with the one who's chiefly responsible for these distortions. And now he just names And now Kautsky. his name's Kautsky. <laughs> the best known leader of the Second International, which has met with such miserable bankruptcy in the present war. Last, we sum up the main results of the experience of the Russian revolutions of 1905 and particularly 1917. Now remember, this is right after... Well, this was... August, where he wrote the yeah. preface. But he, so he was thinking the February Revolution, but it actually was published and came out right after the October Revolution. Yeah, early, um, early 1918, I believe. Yeah, so. And then the second edition happened in, in 1918. The, December 1918. Yeah. Um, so then we're going to move on to chapter one.